Hello, Florida Bar members and Florida registered paralegals. This is a quick reminder from the Standing Committee on Mental Health and Wellness of Florida Lawyers that you are approved to use the Florida Lawyers Helpline, a completely free and confidential around-the-clock helpline designed to support you in managing the challenges of both your personal and professional life. By dialing 833-FL1-WELL or 833-351-9355, you can connect with mental health professionals who are ready to assist you. Take advantage of up to five complimentary in-person or telehealth counseling sessions annually. And remember, there's no limit to the number of calls you can make. Reach out today. You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel. Produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm the director of the Practice Resource Center and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Jamie Moore. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So lawyers often invest in technology, but may not utilize it effectively, leading to a missed return on investment. Strategic spending on impactful technology is crucial when you're a solo or a small firm on a budget. So today on the podcast, we are going to discuss cost-effective technology tools and services, guiding you to streamline your work, reduce expenses, and enhance efficiency by utilizing all that technology that you may already have at your disposal. And joining us today to discuss cost-effective tech solutions is Catherine Sanders-Reach, the Director of the Center for Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association. Catherine Sanders-Reach provides practice technology and management assistance to lawyers and legal professionals. Formerly, she was Director of Law Practice Management and Technology for the Chicago Bar Association and the Director at the American Bar Association's Legal Technology Resource Center. Prior to her work at the NCBA, CBA, and ABA, she worked in library and information science environments for several years, working at Ross and Hardy's as a librarian. She received a master's degree in library Library and Information Studies from the University of Alabama. Catherine's professional activities include articles for Law Practice Magazine, Law Technology News, and GP Solo Magazine, as well as numerous other publications. She has given presentations on the use of technology in law firms for national bar conferences, state and local bar associations, and organizations such as the National Association of Bar Council and the Association of American Law Schools. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Jamie and Christine, and good morning, almost good afternoon. So, Catherine, in our little world, you are a celebrity. We're always excited to get to hear you present, so we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Let's get right into it. So, for lawyers considering additional tech investments, what initial steps should they take when evaluating what they already have it's, it's always good to, at least on an annual basis, walk through your tech stack 
And if there are multiple people in the office, you need to actually get them all to contribute to this exercise because sometimes people will go rogue and get an application or a practice group will go get an application that the former is not aware of, which leads to a couple of inefficiencies and also some potential risk because data may be strewn around on different servers, on different uh, private web spaces on uh, public web spaces. And so, um, you know, asking everybody just to kind of write down what are the applications you use. I have a needs assessment form that I actually send to firms so they can all document what they're using, but you should be able to do that without too much of a problem. The other thing I find is a lot of times people don't even know what version they're using. So you may have to provide some help <laughs> with that. Uh, get an IT person or somebody who's familiar with how the firm's getting their stuff set up. So starting out kind of knowing what you're using and then starting to identify redundancies or inefficient uses of products. One thing that most firms have are things like Microsoft 365 uh, subscriptions and then Adobe Acrobat subscriptions. Between those two subscriptions, you can do a tremendous amount. You just need to know what you've got and how to use it. And then add to that a practice management application and you've probably got 99% of everything you need. And it's just a matter of kind of learning how to use the tools you already have and then figuring out what is working well and what could work better and if it's worth getting another piece of technology that does a better job than what you've got. And it's interesting. We've had firms call in where the administrator will tell us, well, when this partner joined, he liked this practice management software. So we're actually running three different programs right now. Nobody's using the same thing. Have you have you had members approach you and they think that that's, you know, they can work that out? Yes, I just had a firm who said they, they were going to get voice over IP, except for the receptionist, because she didn't want to change and she wanted to keep the old PBX. Perfect. <laughs> I was like, that's just not going to work. Yeah. So it's, I think it's not even like, yes, everyone, you, you know, it's, it's learning it and using it. But I think such a hurdle is convincing people to commit to that we are going to find the best thing and everyone's actually going to use it. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's always, I, I get it. But like when you have an older partner, who's just like, nope, until I retire, this is the way I'm doing it. The change management aspect really cannot be discounted from this whole thing. People just don't want to change. They like what they've got. They like how they do. I just had somebody ask me, is it legitimate to use WordPerfect? No, no, no. <laughs> Quite honestly, yes. It's still a supported application. You can still purchase WordPerfect. But I said, you know, in terms of integrations with other products, collaborative efforts with other people, you're going to find that you're left out a lot because of your choice of using something that does not have the market share of a Microsoft Word. It's not because Word is a better word processor. It's because it has market share to the extent that it's the 800-pound gorilla and we can't ignore it. I would love to say, let's all use open source and alternative tools and best of breed and all of that stuff. But I have to live in a real world, <laughs> in which yeah. case we just have to realize that sometimes if you're going to choose to use alternative platforms, you're going to be on your own. 
Yeah, exactly. I also think a good way to motivate them is if you are the person trying to convince everyone to consolidate and start using the same thing, you can lay out, go ahead and show them annually what everything's costing and what it could be. <laughs> I think oh, yeah, money talks. Part of that needs assessment. Once you figure out what everybody's using, then you figure out what you're spending on it. And all that redundancy. I mean, I talked to firms that are using Dropbox for business, Microsoft 365, and a file server hmm. <laughs> all the time. Wow. Oh, and then and then a practice management application that has document storage built in. Yeah, too much can be a, a whole other problem. I agree. If you can't find the files, that's going to be a, a whole efficiency issue on its own. So, ugh. Definitely. Well, balancing automation while maintaining a human touch is is essential because we're always trying to push, hey, automate this, automate that, but you still want to have that human factor in there. So do you have any tips that you can recommend for effectively striking this very delicate balance? I had just, just talked to a firm yesterday about this where, you know, yeah, you can set it up to have an auto email response said, if you're this type of person, do this. If you're this, and I literally had that happen to me and I wrote an article about it actually, because I got this, you know, I was getting these automatic responses, keeping in mind that most of the time when I'm emailing someone, it's because they emailed me and asked me for help. So then I get these auto responses that say, if you're a potential client, do this. If you're current client, do this. If you're, you know, trying to pitch me a product, I'm not going to respond on and on and on. And so it's, you know, either have some sort of mechanism that helps you identify more specifically who's reaching out to you so that you don't have this kind of blanket response or just read it and use templates so that you're responding with something that's appropriate. If for instance, and of course I'm not practicing law, but in the bar association, we're a voluntary professional association. So I don't provide consultant help for non-members. So when I get a request for help, I look them up in our database and I determine, are they a current member? Are they a former member? Are they, have they never been a member? And I have different responses for each one of those people. It doesn't take me very long to do that verification, but I think, you know, you can automate stuff, but not at the risk of alienating Mm -hmm. (laughs) people. That's that's a good point. That's yeah. So so you're still yeah. You're you're being efficient in your responses because you don't have to type it from scratch every time. That's a good point. Yeah, I like that. So we still have, and I know there's always going to be attorneys that have all paper files. They're they're still. I mean, you know, they probably compose in Word, but then they're printing everything out. And so this is such a just like having elderly parents with their houses full of things. If the people that come in in the law firm and you find out that you have warehouses that you're paying monthly rent on because all of these paper files are out there. So a lot of people are scanning. We're paperless. I love that. But there was a big cost to it for a while. And now scanning documents for free can be an option and a game changer. Are there tips that you can share for smaller documents? What what could a firm do if they're going to try to convert to being, you know, they want to start scanning everything? Yeah, I usually look at the, the paperless process as a, uh, a retrospective conversion project and an ongoing process improvement for paper coming in. For one thing, the firm itself doesn't have to generate paper. And if you do need to print something out to review it, because that's 
how you're most comfortable recognize that's not the final document even if you make margin notes and things like that just scan it in and then shred the paper file for that reason i typically suggest that everybody have a scanner on their desktop because they you know if you have to stack it up to wait for somebody to go put it in the printer down the hall may never happen so being strategic about moving forward and then all the stuff in boxes that's a big project because for one thing you've got record retention rules and the current thinking in terms of making your firm sellable is that you don't have 45 years worth of print content so first you've got to figure out what do we actually need to keep and if it's originals got to return them and then if it's you know older than six years then you look at any of the caveats according to your malpractice carrier or you know you know what was the person a minor when they were represented and are they of the age of compliance and blah 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 there's there's a lot of caveats to that <laughs> six years or seven years in records retention and then of course your business records are a whole different story that's just client files all of that stuff in a perfect world you would have been addressing this but if you're just putting all these files in a box and it's gone on and on and on you're going to have to go through a big project first to make sure you're not wasting a bunch of money just scanning everything in. I mean, you can, but it's a waste of money. And then I typically suggest, I mean, that every mom and pop copy shop now scans because they, they are no longer in the business of making tons of copies. So they had to pivot and figure out what they could do. So, you know, as long as you can assure yourself that the, the files are not held on their computer or deleted after the the scanning project that the files are scanned in such a way that you can find what you need and they're indexed and all that stuff and then shred the rest and i've written articles about scanning options shredding options file retention you also have to document what you destroy there's a lot to it so but i do like your tip because i hadn't thought about that the people that are going to keep generating paper put it back on them. Here is your personal scanner that's going to live on your desk. And so as long as you're going to generate paper, it's on you going forward. I think that could be a real motivator to, for them to rethink that. And we, you know, I like this scan, the Fujitsu scan snap. It's a small desktop model, but I have a little scanner that fits in my desk drawer. It's tiny. It's a little portable USB. And so if I have a couple of pages I need to scan or expense receipts or whatever, um, you can do it with that. Or you can just use the app on your phone. If you have a Microsoft 365 or Adobe Acrobat subscription, you have scanning apps on your phone. So however you do it, if even if you think I'm pretty paperless and I looked back at my desk at work yesterday and saw that there's literally no paper, it may be that I might be hiding some in drawers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my my rule, because I do like to do things on paper, if I'm going through a list, I'm checking something, I like to tick it off as I go so I can I'm, I'm a list keeper. But I am also, it all has to live on top of my desk. I think Jamie could attest to this. I have piles I'm working on immediately, and I shouldn't even say piles. They're very small, but it doesn't ever go in a drawer. And that's what's kept it. It's, you know, it, it's because it's out of sight, out of mind. So if it's on my desk, I know I need to do something with it. And after I'm done with it, 
I shred it or I just toss it in the trash. It's lovely. But that that's, I guess everyone finds their own little system. So yes, I say I'm paperless, but I do, I am one of those people that works a little bit on paper, but not storing it. So, okay. Yeah. And I like your recommendation for the Fujitsu scanner. I have one of those. It's been running for years. It's great. I have the tiny one. It's like, I don't know. 12 or 14 inches long. It looks, yeah, it's tiny like a baton and it's, it's wonderful. So for solo lawyers, free transcription tools can be just an invaluable thing to have. Do you have a few recommendations that you can suggest for this? In terms, well, okay. So if you, again, I'm not to harp on the Microsoft 365 subscription because there are certainly alternatives that said, Many, 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 many lawyers are using that. So might as well take advantage of the tools you have built in. If you go in, if you have a WAV file or an MP4 or an MP3, any kind of audio file, you can actually upload that file into Word and create a transcription. Is it perfect? No. Is it better than having to type it up and spend someone's time typing that up? I don't know. I've <laughs> one time I asked an attorney if it was a good use of his assistant's time to type up his um, dictation files. And he sat there for a minute. He goes, yes. So, you know, you, you do the math, figure it out. But I find that taking a, a, an audio file and one caveat about this, you have to go into Word Online. I think it is not available in the Word installed software. So you go into Word Online and you go over to the dictate button and there's a carrot. Click on the carrot and there's a transcribe button. Click on that. You can upload the file. So that's free. That's built in. And you have plenty of opportunities to edit it. It'll identify speakers, all that kind of stuff. So that's for any any kind of audio file you've got. And then with Microsoft Teams and Zoom and some of the video conferencing tools that we're using, most of them are now building in transcriptions and AI summaries and all that stuff. And you just have to, re- it's part of the recording process now. I like that. I I had no idea about the audio file that you could upload that. So I love that tip. That's a great one. And then what are are people still using Dragon for dictation or what are people doing for that? Or is there something built in they can be doing? People are using Dragon for dictation, but quite frankly, I broke my right wrist two years ago and found out really quickly what worked and what didn't in terms of actually having to do dictation. And Dragon is, for a person who's not going to be using it all the time, prohibitively expensive, even the non-legal version. It was $500 or something. So again, there's dictation built into, well, Cortana is gone in Windows, but it's been replaced with the dictation that's built into Outlook and Word. And then you've got, obviously, you can dictate into your phone and and save that as a file. And then there's, there's even tools that you can use to dictate into your computer and tell it open, open word, start a new file, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it depends on what you need it to do. Since I was mostly hampered by the lack of being able to use my right hand, I didn't need it to do all the things. I just needed it to help me type. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Maybe 
hire someone to type for you. <laughs> okay, so this is a big question, but I think that this is, you've taught us over the years so many ways to um, all these magic things that exist in Microsoft Office 365 that I wasn't aware of. What are your top tips for unlocking the full potential of Microsoft Office 365 for attorneys? I, I know there's a ton of them, but what are the ones that you're like, this is just really cool? Okay, so dictate and and transcribe definitely in my top list. I would love to talk about Outlook. The reality is I've been testing the new Outlook and I'm so disgruntled with it. Ah. <laughs> it's it it lacks a lot of the power features that the software has. So we'll skip that. It does have some things like snooze and some other tools that are useful but just not that great. Bookings, if you're not already using a tool like Acuity or Calendly or some sort of booking app built into your project man or project manager, practice manager, I like bookings because unlike my free version of Calendly, it lets me create multiple calendars. So say for potential clients, for current clients, for estate planning clients versus probate client, you can create multiple calendars <clears throat> with multiple rules set around them and then send those calendars to people. It'll send reminders. You can take payments if you do fee-based consultations. There's just so much you can do with that. And there's, it, I don't think it's a good use of anybody's time to have to schedule availability on someone's calendar and negotiate that. So bookings, I think, is is a really interesting tool that comes free with it. The other thing is planner and teams. So teams, most people are aware it's a video conferencing platform, but it also has chat and a lot of firms are using that. But then you get into the workspaces and workspaces have individual chats around a particular conversation, whatever that may be, plus the ability to add things. So you can embed Clio into a team's workspace and you can add a project plan via planner, which is also free and create a OneNote notebook for that particular, you know, whatever it is you're working on. And that could be professional development, pro bono, actual matters, you know, it's really, really robust. And it also lets you embed a lot of other products that are in Microsoft 365 and even third-party tools. And I guess the other one, if you're into automation, is starting to play around with um, the power tools for automations in Microsoft 365. I haven't seen Copilot in action because I'm not in an enterprise version. I've just seen the videos that they've done. I'm excited about the opportunities that it affords, but until I get hands on it, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, and I guess this is a bit esoteric, but it, it factors high in my life. The ability to take an article or a uh, outline and in PowerPoint online convert a Word document or an outline into a PowerPoint. 
You'd be so proud of me. You taught me that and I used it just a couple of weeks ago and it was beautiful. I used AI to make an outline, put it, put it in Word and then made a beautiful PowerPoint. It chose the perfect theme. It was amazing. I, I owe it all to you. I should have told you. I should have emailed you yes. then. <laughs> I did that as well. So yeah. <laughs> well, and then I guess if you haven't messed around with some of the AI enhancements in Excel, if you're an Excel user, if pivot tables were a little intimidating, things like that, you can now just tell it what you want it to do. Nice. You don't have to know the formulas. You don't know how to have to know how to create a pivot table. You just kind of go in and say, you know, show me this and it'll generate it for you. So that is very, very helpful because I think Excel is such a powerful tool, but it's mm -hmm. also intimidating. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So thank yeah. you. That's cool. I like that tip. Um, so speaking of workspaces, I've wanted to shift and talk a little bit about Google Workspace because it does offer a lot of diverse features that can be very helpful. Could you highlight a few features that you find would be maybe specifically benefit beneficial to a lawyer? I'm not as familiar with workspaces. I will say that there there is a more of an ecosystem of add-ons. So if you go, well, Google Docs doesn't really have the formatting functionality that I need that Word has, you'd be surprised now because there's 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 add-ons and there's more vendors developing integrations with the workspace tools. There's still some frustrations that I have in terms of having it feel all kind of separate, but it's getting better. And when I mean separate, having to open different tools to have them talk to each other, whereas Microsoft seems to be getting better and better at having things kind of all flow across the, uh, the ecosystem. I mean, I think Google Docs and Google Drive is still very good for sharing probably more intuitively than what Microsoft offers. Oh, and then the new extensions. So, and this is for the brave of heart. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> use it for your um, Google workspace for work stuff, but I'm trying it out on my personal, recognizing that I'm just training the large language model. But Google, and I'm going to assume they're going to like Microsoft test this out on the public and then bring it into some sort of more controlled atmosphere for the workspace. But BARD, after it was enhanced with Gemini, now has these um, extensions that you can turn on. So for instance, in my personal Gmail, I can go in and ask BARD to find all the emails that have to do with a particular topic and tell me where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. So instead of doing a cruddy keyword search and getting a whole bunch of emails that I have to read through, it answers the question for me. Okay. And is BARD, that's an, ex, is that, that's an extension? Is so BARD is Google's artificial intelligence okay. bot like, so Bing is, or Copilot is the one that Microsoft has. It was called Bing Chat. Now it's called Copilot. They're trying to brand all of their AI functionality Copilot across all their products. So BARD is the equivalent from Google. And okay. it was not that great when they rolled it out. It is much better now. And then, and I've got an article and I can send a link to you, but you turn on the extensions and then you can go and query your Gmail, your Google Drive. It's, it's pretty interesting, but it's not ready for work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'd love the article. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're on the legalfuel.com website, we, everything we're talking about, we'll, we'll put a link to it underneath. 
Can you talk a little bit about particularly helpful features of Adobe? I don't think people are fully utilizing the potential. Well, in addition to redaction, which it's one of the few tools that truly redacts, um, there are some other tools like Kofax Power PDF that'll do redaction. The one thing that I like to warn people about when you're using a tool to redact a file, and if you're doing e-filing, there's probably some reason for you to redact information. If you use a tool that does redaction, but it doesn't create a new version before it redacts, you've just redacted your original. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I like about Adobe is when you redact, it creates a copy of the document with underscore redacted so that you cannot overwrite your original document. Because once it's redacted using that tool, it's really and truly redacted. I love bookmarks. And I love being able to take a Word document that has uh, a table of contents built in by using styles, and those styles transfer into the book and turn into books um, when you do the conversion. Also, right now, again, with the, the stable version of Outlook software, you can get a plugin from Adobe that will convert an entire folder of email into PDF. And so for email retention, to be able to save a full folder full of emails as a one single PDF where you can actually go through it and sort by subject and sender and date, see the attachments and all that kind of stuff. I think that is super, super useful because sometimes, let's face it, the save to your practice management application from Google or Outlook isn't always that useful. And really, if you're just trying to zip it all up and put it in your closed closed matter file, this is a really good tool to use. And then the newest version of Adobe, and one of the things I will absolutely sympathize with anybody who's dealing with this, they changed their interface. And unlike Microsoft, they don't give you a lot of, here, try this out before we do it. They just put you into it. You can revert back, but they don't give you that kind of trial this out before it changes thing. So anyway, there's a new interface, but I will say it's pretty easy to get used to. And one of the things they've now added is web forms. So in the past, you could convert a PDF document to a form and send someone that form, but it wasn't a web form. And so if they opened it on their phone, they'd have to have some sort of reader, some sort of way. Now now they can, you can actually convert to web forms, which I think is from a usability perspective, much, much better. Interesting. I'll have to try that. Yeah, I like that. I want to switch gears again and talk about FastCase because we have FastCase here at the Florida Bar. And I know the North Carolina Bar also has fast case and it holds just wonderful research potential. Um, could you just share any hidden tips that maybe some lawyers might not be aware of that they can access? Well, there's there's a feature uh, that is kind of cool in fast case that you can upload a document and it will identify all of the citations and make them hyperlinks. So if you need to share something and and those hyperlinks go to freely available versions of the case law. So if you need to share with a client or someone who doesn't have access to FastCase, 
You want them to be able to read any case law or citations or judges or anybody else. You can do that. Obviously, there's with the VLEX merger acquisition, it's um, we're looking forward to the Vincent AI tools, but those are just, I think, being demonstrated, but not rolled out. And then just I have a video, which I can send you all to share with advanced search techniques in FastCase. While artificial intelligence and generative AI is is really cool, right now, you're still going to get the best results from understanding how Boolean search works. And so I have a video on doing advanced search techniques in FastCase. And then the other thing is, and I think, I mean, I know North Carolina Bar does this and y'all probably do this, but we actually have uploaded secondary information like the court rules into FastCase. So if you go into out of the main search and look at the library, there's a whole lot of additional content that people can get access to. I'm glad you mentioned VLEX. I, I've watched um, a few demos with Damien Real that's kind of heading that up for them. And so if you're an attorney overwhelmed by all the AI, Felix and Vincent are going to be the true game changers. They're kind of, it's going to be cost prohibitive for a while, but I think that they're working on that. But with all the products out there, that's the one I am most impressed with so far. And I guess the other thing is, and again, I'll send you all a link to an article. In FastCase 7, you can have history, your bookmarks, you can set up alerts, you can have case law search alerts set up. So instead of having to go in and save it, you do your search and then you add it as alert. Anytime you get a hit, you get an email notification, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a very powerful, powerful product. You just have to kind of know what you can do with it. Yeah. yeah. And so many, when I started here uh, at the Florida Bar, FastCase is free for members. And I think so many people that during law school, they were trained on Westlaw or Lexis. They were so, <laughs> they just assumed that if it, they were getting it for free from the bar, it wasn't as good. FastCase is an amazing product. And it, and because you can get that completely free, if you're not using it, especially as a solo or a small firm, that that could be a huge uh, savings to your budget. So, and we'll, we'll link up to this, but FastCase, you should give it a look if you're not, if you're not using it already. One of the things that I tell lawyers in bigger firms that may have a subscription to Westlaw or LexisNexis is that they have FastCase. And so if they don't have a good search strategy, if they just need to kind of figure out what their search strategy is, what their keywords are going to be, read through, they, they can use FastCase to do that kind of thing to get a sense of what might be out there, what what their terms of art are going to be before you go onto a paid database. And there is a cost, even if you have flat fee access, every search, every query goes to, at the very least, negotiating the contract for the next year. So, you know, if you're going to, if you need to mess around, get familiar with a topic, use FastCase. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, we, we, we've done recently, we did a whole podcast about marketing. So we talked about websites a lot, but creating a budget-friendly website is a very common need for solo attorneys that are starting from scratch. What suggestions do you have for accomplishing that? For people who are not comfortable with or have never created a website before, my general suggestion is to use Wix. The reason is that Wix is has an AI generator and it's had one for a long time, actually. So you go in and you say, 
I want to use this generation tool to create my website. And they'll say, fill out your name and your domain name and all that kind of stuff. And then what kind of business are you? A law firm. And then it creates any fill in more information. And then it creates like a five page website. And you can toss out any pages you don't like, customize it. But it's a little intimidating, even with tools like WordPress.com, which I definitely suggest as a secondary, if you have a little bit of experience, WordPress.com has all the benefits of WordPress without the stress. And when I say that, what I mean is if you get free WordPress, it's not free. WordPress itself is an open source application that you don't pay for. However, you have to pay for hosting and you have to pay probably someone to get it set up for you. And then you have to maintain it and update it and back it up and all of this other stuff. And so there is a cost to doing that, whether it's it's time or actual hard costs. So WordPress.com basically provides the hosting, provides the backup, provides the support. If you pay for the, I think it's 300 a year for the business version, you get all of the plugins and add-ons, paid templates, and that's what I use, but I do have, you know, some experience with building websites. If you don't, I like Wix. Are you going to get the kind of SEO you want? Mm, probably not. But the reality is to get SEO, um, you're going to pay somebody to optimize your site or you're going to be really good about adding content. That's a good point. But two two very good options. And I have to agree with you. Wix is seems very user-friendly and I've used, I do use WordPress for- uh, The $300 a year is a bargain. It really that's, is, that's yeah. And that, again, that's wordpress.com. And so it's, it's, it's a business that supports creation of a WordPress site, providing the backup, providing the, the hosting, providing the support so that you don't have to go and find all that yourself. Yeah, kind of all in one place. Yep. So in one of your articles, you explored creating newsletters on LinkedIn, which I thought was very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about this process for someone that's just maybe wants to start doing this and they're not sure where to begin? So if you've already got a LinkedIn profile, then it's worth exploring. And I actually did my LinkedIn newsletter on <laughs> two places. Traditionally, the way we do an email newsletter is through some sort of mass marketing email application like MailChimp or Contact or Drip or something like that. And those all work, but it's it's a whole nother thing to manage. It's another skill set to, <laughs> to develop. And so if you already have LinkedIn, you just basically can create a newsletter and it automatically invites all of your contacts to subscribe to your newsletter. So what I found, and this is almost irritating that it worked so well, it took me years to build an opt-in newsletter following. And in four seconds, I had twice as many subscribers to my LinkedIn newsletter as I had for my MailChimp newsletter. So it's very effective and it's pretty easy to do. You can write articles and use LinkedIn as a blog platform. And then you can use it as a newsletter platform and embed images. You can, you know, embed hyperlinks. You can, I guess, one of the things you can really do with a MailChimp or 
other kind of newsletter is you can at people so you can call out other LinkedIn subscribers and all those kinds of things. It's free. It's fairly easy. The only thing you can't do is have people outside of LinkedIn subscribe to it. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And that's not, I, I'm going to put a plug in. Your newsletter is excellent. When it comes in, I read all of the tips because you have tried it yourself. You, you're really good at ex- explaining things to people that are not techie. So I really appreciate that. So I'm signed up to, I guess, your MailChimp because it comes in. How do people find that if they want to, if they want to be receiving that, if they're not on LinkedIn? If you want to go to ncbar.org forward slash CPM for Center for Practice Management, there's a big button that says subscribe to ICYMI, my In Case You Missed It newsletter. Amusingly enough, I've moved from Constant Contact to MailChimp to now Salesforce Marketing Cloud. But yes, you're right. I am very hands-on. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine is a part of, we're, we're in the Practice Management Advisors of North America group. So we meet once a month and Catherine always has some tip that no one's heard of. It's amazing. And that's the reason like when I use my Outlook on my desktop, I she gives me these tips and then I have to go to Outlook online to make them work. And it's always worth it switching back and forth. So I appreciate that. So I highly recommend that you subscribe to her newsletter. Okay, let's Let's talk about a little bit of security, two-factor authentication. What is your perspective on tools like Google Authenticator for lawyers? It's really at this point, it's best practices to use an authentication tool versus using SMS. It will ultimately come down to what's allowable based on the tool that you're using. I have perversely, I have seen very few banks or credit card companies that will let you use an authenticator versus SMS for the authentication, which is bizarre. But your phone and the SMS can be diverted, hacked. And so the authenticator apps are supposed to be more secure. The problem is that you need to be as consistent as you can be. So I have five authenticator apps. I don't even know which one I use to use for the different things that I have. And so it's, I actually couldn't figure out where my authentication was for um, a tool that I use. And I had to get in touch with customer service and send a picture, like a selfie and a picture of my driver's license and prove that I was me and all this stuff, which is good that they, they have the protocols in place to make sure that, you know, I'm not trying to hack somebody's, but if I guess try to use something that most people will let you use. So that's probably going to be either the Google Authenticator or the Microsoft Authenticator. I also have the Dashlane Authenticator, the Keeper Authenticator, because we use Keeper at work. So it gets a little hairy. All that said, the whole point of this stuff is that if someone knew my username and password, they still couldn't get into my account. And and for that, despite the fact that it's a bit of a pain, it's worth it. Yeah. And I completely agree. The bar uses Authenticator and a lot of people just thought that was going to be a total pain. I have it set up so it looks at my face. It opens up automatically. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really take any more time and I don't have to remember a password. So you can make these things simpler. 
Definitely. And I agree. It's an extra layer of protection. And we're always telling our members, just go ahead and do it. Yes. If you have, if you are banking on your phone, please set up the the two-step authenticator. Definitely. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about phone systems and Microsoft Teams as a phone system is an option that might not be on the radar for many lawyers. Could you share some of your insights on utilizing Teams in this capacity or provide other budget-friendly alternatives with similar functionalities? Microsoft Teams has video conferencing, but you can also, it has a a phone. So, you know, you don't have to use the video conferencing tool. Someone can dial in, which has been around with Zoom and GoToMeeting and, you know, WebEx and all that forever and ever. But that's not really a phone because it's even if you use the same one, it doesn't work as a phone system. So both Teams and Zoom have additional phone options. Um, Zoom has Zoom phones. Teams has team phones. They're, I think they're $15 per user per month. The Teams phone is, you can get leased handsets if you like having a handset. I'm I'm a Ring Central user. I have not had a, a handset telephone for five years. I use the app on my phone and I use the, uh, the little web app and a headset. But there are definitely people who want to pick up the phone. (laughs) That's their comfort level. So you have to get that additional equipment and it has to be, it has to work with your voice over IP. But the Teams phones, I actually was just kind of looking into this for a member at NCBA and uh, ask a group of techie lawyers what they were using. And a number were using Teams phones and like them. One thing is if you're looking to add effects and texting with clients, you're not going to get that through your Teams phone. So that's when you look at other voice over IP solutions, the Nextel, RingCentral, 8x8. There's a whole bunch on the market. So it really has to think about most of them will handle, you know, auto attendance and dial by number and typical phone system stuff, forwarding your email, your calls and transcription of your voicemails and all the standard stuff is in Teams phone. But then when you get to additional communication forms, because Teams is technically a chat tool, I don't think they were real anxious to push in SMS. <laughs> and if that's something that's really important to you, first check your practice management application to see if they have built in text communication with clients because some of them do. And if they don't, then that's something you're going to have to look for with a different voice or IP system. And I believe the Zoom phones actually have that. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, $15 a month per user is an amazing savings. When I think back to being in the law firm and the whole phone systems that were multi-thousands of dollars. So that is an excellent budget saving tip. We talked about Adobe a little bit about the redaction abilities. Can you talk about securing documents? Obviously, as an attorney, you don't want people to just change the document you sent. But I think that most people right now are just sending documents around that are not secured. If you are in Word or Adobe, what's the simple way to secure the document before you share it? Both of them give you the ability to pass or protect the document. So if you don't want someone who's not authorized to open the document to have access to it, you can pass or protect it. Is it perfect security? No. Is it better than nothing? 
Yes. So that's one thing. Um, I see people getting into a lot of solutions to encrypt email. And then I ask, what are you trying to protect? Is it the body of the email or is the attachment? Because you can just password protect the attachment um, if you don't want it to be, you know, if, and that's if you miss send the email. There's a lot of other reasons other than unauthorized access. It's that inadvertent disclosure aspect of it as well. And then, of course, you don't send the password with the email that you attach it to and that kind of stuff. And then the other thing is if you're sending a document and you don't want someone to copy the document, print the document, share the document, there's a lot of things you can do. Microsoft doesn't have a lot of that for Word, but Adobe does. I mean, you can get all into their information right management if you really, really, really want to protect a document. But I have a kind of a three-step mechanism if you just if you want to share a document but you don't want anyone to be able to do anything but basically read it so you create the document in acrobat and then you can watermark it and put a faint watermark that says you know final or whatever and that's actually helpful for a variety of different reasons especially if something's gone through a million versions then you can set the uh, a password level permission that says you that people can't copy it or print it if you really you know, or you can let them print it but not copy it and then you can add a, a digital signature that can be invisible and it basically every time you open the document there's a little green bar across the top that says this document was created by this person on this date at this time if you get the document back and it doesn't have that, then it's been altered, recreated, whatever. So if you really, I mean, and th- those are all fairly straightforward tools that you can apply to. I'm not saying it's impenetrable, but it would take someone a lot of work to try to create that. And I, I actually am not sure that it's possible. Oh, very good. I think that's one of my favorite tips so far because we do, we, we do get that question actually quite a bit in our department. I for, will. I have a video. <laughs> so oh, I'll send you the video. Beautiful. That would, that would be wonderful for all the attorneys that don't like to read. That, yes, they love those that videos. would be that would be excellent. <laughs> Thank you. And for our last question, what are your top picks for a solo attorney on a budget, and they're trying to get that complete software package? What would you What would you tell them when you say complete? software. <laughs> are you talking practice management yes, software? Yes, I'm okay, sorry. Yeah, yes, practice like management a, a software. practice management software. What are your favorites? Yeah, what are your favorites? Wow. That's a tough question. We, I have this conversation many, many times. And <laughs> so do we. the reality is, I guess you have to break it down into front office and back office first. And looking at back office, specifically accounting, because there's a lot of practice management applications that have, you know, fantastic calendaring, workflows, um, document assembly, document generation, client intake, portals, all those things. And they don't have accounting. And I mean, we're talking general ledger, AR, you know. So if they don't have accounting, you're probably using probably, probably QuickBooks. So it's a matter of 
does the product integrate with QuickBooks effectively so that information is shared between the two applications? And do I want to continue to use QuickBooks or try to migrate to something else? Once we establish that, it's a little bit easier to start figuring out. <clears throat> you know, some firms just want document management and time and billing. And the, the other stuff is not important to them. So I would typically have them look at a time and billing product that has some client portal capability or, you know, e-payments or, you know, those kinds of things. And then you can look at something that has more of that collaborative front office management side of it, plus time and billing with the integration with accounting or its own accounting built in. So as I said, it's a lot more complicated <laughs> than asking me what my favorite ones are. Right. Um, right. Because there's a lot of a lot of things to think about. What are you migrating off of, if anything? And so because of that, I just wrote an article called the ABCs of LPMS and how to shop for accounting software. So those are two articles that I kind of put together to try to help figure all that, those questions out so you can narrow down to the number of products that are going to be the best fit for you. <clears throat> because the reality is there's a lot of products on the market and they all have their pros and cons. And they are constantly changing. Yep. Every time I think I have a kind of a grasp on the features, um, someone from the company will say, oh, we're definitely moving towards doing this or that. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So if I'm just going to put you on the spot, I'm a solo. I just need something that has it built in. I don't want to use QuickBooks. What actually has just basic back office accounting inside of it right now? For a solo? Cosmolex. Okay, good. That's what that's that's my answer too. I just wanted to see if you're okay. That makes me feel better. <laughs> I've heard that some of our other favorites are going to have it, but right now, that's that's my understanding. As a, I was a law firm administrator, I just want it in one program. So, like back in the day, it was easier. There were some that are not good now, but that had it all built in, and I really like that. Okay. And, and you know, a lot of a, a lot of firms. They are working with an accountant and that accountant prefers QuickBooks. So that's a question you have to ask. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. I just, I can't get excited about that because of the trust accounting, the workarounds, you know, all of those things. So that's like a whole other episode. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come out of the box with trust accounting. It has to be tweaked. It's, it's not a legal accounting product. That is correct. Well, Catherine, so much good information. I learn something every time I talk to you. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Um, again, y'all can subscribe to the newsletter, um, follow the blog. Uh, I have tons and tons of articles and videos and other things because as y'all mentioned, I really like to kick the tires and play with this stuff before I talk about it because if I can't make it work, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you to try to make it work. Yes. And that is always good advice. If you've already said it's not worth it, I'm certainly not going to <laughs> give it a shot. And and Catherine, I'm sure our listeners will have questions and they'll definitely want to find your articles and other publications. So should they just go right to the North Carolina bar and just and look for the practice management center and they can find your your articles? Is that the best place? Yes, they're um, they're all there um, freely available and it's uh, ncbar.org slash CPM. 
that'll take them. Uh, the The blog is called From the Center, <laughs> and okay. it's searchable. And you can uh, I've organized it by subject. That's the librarian in me. Perfect. I love that. (laughs) Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. We want to thank Catherine Sanders-Reach for joining us today. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. And I'm Jamie Moore. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bars Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.